Would you please be turning to Deuteronomy chapter 27? While you're doing that, I'd just like to make some opening remarks before we dig in. So first of all, thank you so much for uh, having me. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. I've done a lot of uh, work with the group down here. I know a lot of the people down here. So grateful for y'all uh, for having me. Tom was down to do the uh, sermon this morning. You might be thinking, wow, Tom looks real great these days. Um, <laughs> but no, it's me, so sorry about that. did also want to say, as I always do, uh, starting off all my lessons, that just like the brethren there in Galatians 2, even just like Paul and like Peter, I'm a man. I'm fallible and I make mistakes. And so if you hear anything up here today that is not in line with God's word, you be my friend to correct me. Because I am imperfect, but this word of God, this is perfect. So Deuteronomy chapter 27, I'm talking about the impact of God today. Just wanted to go ahead and read off the first eight verses there to kind of give us an introduction to what we're looking at and kind of lay the groundwork for these next chapters, which we will be going over here very briefly. So right there, Deuteronomy chapter 27, starting in verse 1. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all of the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. Then you shall write on them all the words of the law. And when you have crossed over, when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your Lord the the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Therefore it shall be that when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And then you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of the law. Now there's a whole lesson in here about obedience. An entire sermon about doing exactly what God commands. And so what's the first command there in verse 1? Keep all the commands which I command you today. This is a pivotal moment in Israel's history, as we will see when we go through the rest of this here. God wants to make sure they don't miss it. He wants to make sure they're listening. So he begins this command essentially by saying, listen up. Next he says, when you cross over, so they're not quite there yet, but when you cross over, you're going to Take these large stones, and you're going to whitewash these stones with lime. You're going to set these up on Mount Ebal, and you're going to build an altar in that same place. You're going to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. You'll notice at the end of verse 5 and verse 8, there's an emphasis placed on something, and as I typically do when I'm reading at lightning speed, when I blaze through texts, I often miss things. So, at the end of verse 5, you shall not use an iron tool on them. He's talking about those stones which they are going to use for the altar. 
They're not supposed to shape those stones. They're supposed to be whole stones that are put together and assembled as an altar. But you're not supposed to carve them. And then at the end of verse 8, really all of verse 8, shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of the law. So we just talked about the stones which were to be used for the altar. These are the other stones which they were supposed to whitewash with lime and then write the words of the law on these large stones. Two things. And why are they in the same context? Don't use an iron tool in the construction of the altar. So, what do you use to carve out stone? Probably tools of iron. But when you do use tools of iron on the stones which are not on the altar, but on the stones of the law that are written on them, do it plainly. There's a simplicity here. So, what's interesting is, what is the focus in this passage? And I think that you'll find that it's the word of God. Why? I want you to think about why they whitewashed those stones and didn't just write on them. What happens when you take a stone, which would be gray or dark, and then you cover it in a white material, and then you scrape that material away to write on the stone? It is clear as day. You can't miss it. Also, no one can look on this altar and say, wow, that's a pretty altar. Because it's just a bunch of stones, whole stones, not carved. So they can look at the law. So interposed, you have the whitewashed surface, and then you have the law that's written on this, which is revealed in a much darker color, plain as day, easy to read, and not ornate either. He says in verse 8, plain. Don't make it fancy. So, is the impact of our worship how loud and beautiful our singing is? Or is the emphasis of our worship like the money we put in the plate? <laughs> or, how reverent we, or how reverently we take the Lord's Supper? Or how fantastic the speaker is? I hope it's not. Because out of all our worship, what that worship should do is that worship should glorify God. And his word. Because it's his word which can make a difference. I want to call to your mind Romans 10. That faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. The word of God is what makes the impact. It's not the altar that made the impact. And it is not those large stones that were whitewashed. And you can look at them, wow, look how big. It was the word of God on those stones, the law. God said, listen, and then in verse 10, God says, do. So in verse 9, let's go ahead and read verses 9 and all the way through 13, really. Then Moses said to the priests and the Levites that spoke to all Israel, saying, take heed and listen, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. 
And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So, Moses commands the people to stand on opposing mountains. When you actually look at an image of these mountains, which are around today and they're identified, they literally face each other with a valley in between. They're right next to each other. And now, according to tradition and multiple historical texts, and this is not something that you'll find here, but you can do a little digging, and geographically these mountains are very different even though they're right next to each other. So, what's interesting is that because of the geographical location of these mountains, that there is uh, rainfall that happens in the mountains of Samaria that then uh, runs to Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim is interesting because Mount Gerizim, it has about 10 springs that yield about 2 million cubic meters of water a year, and then another uh, five wells that yield 6 million cubic, water, uh, cubic meters of water a year. And by contrast, uh, Mount Ebal, not so much. So what you've got is you've got this, even this incredible visual contrast where you've got six tribes of Judah over here, or six tribes of Israel over here, six tribes of Israel over here, and half of them are standing in this beautiful, lush, wonderful environment, and half of them are standing on what you could describe as desert. It's not exactly barren, but we're getting close. And so then what happens in the next few verses is quite interesting. So in, in verse 14, it says that the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. So the Levites are announcing these curses, right? And they, the people are to respond back after, it, after one is said, for instance, in uh, verse 16, curses the man who treats his father or mother with contempt. Then all the people answer on both sides, amen, or let it be done. What's interesting is in verse 14 and 15, we just, we just had an entire passage saying, here's what you're going to do. When you cross over the Jordan, here's the very first thing you're going to do. You're going to set up an altar and you're going to set up large stones with the law written on them. In verse 14 and 15, what is the very first curse that's laid out? The Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image an abomination to the, to the Lord the work of the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret, all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Does that, um, does that sound familiar? Like, no carved image, even in, you know, uh, secret. And, you know, that might sound pretty similar to a uh, command we already got uh, on another mountain, you know, somewhere back there in Exodus. Um, yeah, command one and two of... Um, the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other God before me, or make carved images. It's very familiar. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament law, it's nothing new or shocking that's said in the next few verses. This is just more of a recap, especially if you've read Leviticus. And so there in verse 
Uh, 16, cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. 18, cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. 19, cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. 20, cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. 21, cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. 22, cursed is the one who lies with his sister. 23, cursed is the, law, is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. 24, cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor. 25, cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. 26, cursed is the one who does not conform, confirm all the words of this law. And all the people say, Amen. So, God doesn't stop there, though. I mean, I think that would have been probably enough of a deterrent for me. You know, it was like, okay, going into the land, uh, let's see, am I going to follow God or not? And then God lays out all these curses. It's like, oh, all right, clear on that. All right, I'm going to do what's right. But God doesn't stop there. What I find interesting in verse 28 is then he starts listing off blessings. Um, And so in in verse 28, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 28, my apologies, chapter 28, let's just read a couple verses there just to get an idea of what he's saying. So it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of your Lord, to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed you shall be in the city, blessed you shall be in the country, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. I'll stop right there. But we get the general idea. If they diligently follow the blessings of the Lord, they are so immensely blessed and richly blessed. And I want you to think about the level of blessing that they would achieve if they followed God. And it's immeasurable. It's incredible. And he goes on with the blessing. And then in verse 15, he says exactly the inverse of what he just said. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city and cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. It's the same thing. Inverted. This also would be an indicator to other nations, which I find so interesting, that Israel, if they followed God, they would be so blessed that there could be no other explanation than God blessed them. And yet, if they did not do what they were supposed to do, and they were cursed, they were cursed so tremendously, only God, the only explanation for that is that that's God. God caused that to happen. There's an interesting passage at the end of chapter 28. In verses uh, 
47 to 51, it says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore you shall serve your enemies from whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. They shall eat the increase of your livestock, the produce of your land, until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain, nor new wine, nor oil, or the increase of your cattle, or the offspring of your flocks, until they have destroyed you. That doesn't sound pleasant. But what's interesting is if you look in Jeremiah chapter 5, you'll see something that looks a little bit familiar. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 14, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you speak my words, because you make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, it shall devour them. Right here in verse 15. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It's a mighty nation. It's an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty men. They shall eat up your harvest, your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. And they shall eat up your flocks, your herds. And they shall eat up your vines, your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. Now, I am no genius by any stretch of the imagination, but just by process of uh, very simple logic and reasoning, uh, I have to think that this passage in Jeremiah, maybe, just maybe, Israel, at this very moment, stick with me now, it's a stretch, is not following God's commands. And you see this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. It's so striking there that that is a quote from Deuteronomy right here. God always makes good on his promises, whether you like them or not. Verse 68 is also important. The very last verse. The Lord will take you back to Egypt. We're still in the, uh, he's still handing down the curses. The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way, which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. If you don't heed my commands, I'm going to take you back to Egypt in ships. They will sell you as slaves, and no one will want you. Why? Because even the nations can recognize and see how cursed you are and want nothing to do with you. The nations will take note. When they are blessed, again, they are so richly blessed that they and all the nations around them know that it can only be God who can bless them. And the opposite is also true in chapter 28 as he continues the thought. The Lord will, cur will curse them so immensely that they and all the nations around them will know that the Lord is the only one who could possibly bring something about this or could possibly bring this about. But he does this so that they can repent. And that's something that's important to note. We think about the cycle of the judges 
You know, it's like, all right, uh, Israel is wicked, they are oppressed or cursed in some way, and then they cry out to God for help, um, God sends a judge, and then the judge delivers them, and then the land has rest for about 40 years, typically, one generation. And then the ellipse of human nature takes effect, and it all starts over again. <sighs> so even when Israel is oppressed and cursed, it leads to some kind of repentance. And that's the point. So, am I now going to uh, take this passage and use it to uh, you know, preach a physical prosperity gospel that, listen, as long as you go ahead and you know, obey everything God says, you know, you'll have everything you ever needed in the world. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, context. <laughs> this was a blessing given to Israel, which involved the old law. Last time I read uh, Hebrews 8.13, it says that Christ has made the old law obsolete. So no, this is not a direct application for us. But I do want you to ponder and consider, have you ever noticed, those of you who are Christians, that when you are a Christian and you're following God, I'm not going to say that Life is easy or anything, but it just doesn't seem so crushing. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. Let me be clear. Life is fair to no one. But when you are a Christian, there is an underlying assurance that everything is going to be all right. Sam, what do you mean? Let's take an easy example. Lost my job. Not great. Two things. God still loves me. Romans 8.35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And number two. I still have heaven within reach. 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Beginning in verse 13, he's writing these things so that they may be assured that they have eternal life. Well, they foreclosed on my house. Okay, God still loves me, Romans 8, and heaven is still within reach, 1 John 5. The business went under. Okay, God still loves me, heaven is still within reach. I'm a bit lost in life and don't really have any direction. Okay, God still loves me, and heaven is still in reach. This should be reassuring. So when we're talking about the impact of God, and you think about what impact He's had in your life, it might not necessarily be something physical. Okay. Those spiritual blessings can never be taken away. You know, there are other physical blessings, obviously, that come along with, you know, with being a Christian. I know that, just an example for myself, pretty much, I mean, my entire family on my father's side are, are Christians. And it is a blessing. Because everybody, when they come together, everybody is looking out for everybody else and not themselves. And certainly that's a great physical blessing. 
you know, this, this congregation, you, are, you all are a physical blessing to me. I live two hours away in Charleston, South Carolina. I keep you in my prayers constantly. I know you do the same. That's such a blessing to me. I attempt to stay reminded of these blessings daily. That's another way that God impacts my life. But we're not done in Deuteronomy because I want to dig into chapter 30, which is my favorite chapter out of Deuteronomy. It's kind of like, I mean, Moses has been going now since chapter 27, but chapter 30, it's just, it's, it's his last, because he can't go into the promised land. So this is his last address to the people. I mean, he, he does address the people later on in Deuteronomy. But this is that last sort of admonition. And he lays out a super clear choice. So, if it's alright with you, I'll be quick. But I want to read down to verse 19 to really get a feel for what Moses is saying here. And then I'll very quickly wrap it up. Lesson of yours. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing, the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you from among the nations where the Lord your God scattered scattered you. And if any of you are driven out to the furthest part of heaven, from, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you and those who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. And the Lord will God, your God will make you abound in the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of, the, of your land for good. For the Lord will rejoice, will again rejoice over you for the good as he has rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commands and his statutes which are written in the book of the law. And if you turn from the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, for this is the commandment which I command you today, and is not too mysterious to you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us so that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and understand and do it? But the word is very near to you, in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away from that you do not hear, you are drawn away, and you worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today that against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. 
Therefore, choose life. So I want to call to your mind again the scene here. Six tribes on what can be described as a desert rock and six tribes in a lush, beautiful place. And then with a focus on God's law and his decrees. And then the Levites, they recite 12 curses. The people say, Amen. Then God says, if they obey him, they're going to be blessed only like God can bless them. And if they disobey, they will be cursed only like God can curse them. Then Moses sets up a choice. Set your mind straight is essentially what he's saying. Make up your mind. Make up your will. And at that moment, I realized that these last three chapters, four really, 27, 28, 29, and 30, they're about repentance. They are about aligning your will with God's because it is God's will. And it will be well with you. If you do what God commands, He's going to bring you in, He's going to bless you, He's going to give you the land which He swore to your fathers. And then what he says toward the end of the sermon is just so beautiful because it's a clear-cut choice. I have set before you life and good, death and evil, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Please choose life. Why? In the next verse, it's explained. In verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life. God is the very thing which sustains us. You want to talk about the impact of God. He is that thing which brings life. He is life. And I want to bring to your attention that whether you are a Christian or not this morning, that you have the exact same choice. Life and good, death and cursing. You can repent and you can align your will with God and you will be eternally spiritually blessed. Or you could not. Choice is yours. If you are a Christian and you have stumbled in some way, and you need to make your life right. You need to repent. You need to realign your will with God's will. We'd be happy to help you with that. If you're not a Christian this morning, when those brethren are cut to the heart in Acts 2, what's the very first thing out of Peter's mouth? It is not be baptized. It is repent. Align your will with God's. Then, be baptized to receive salvation. If you need help with that, we'd be happy to assist you.